Um, actually, to be perfectly honest, last year I began um, uh, very much intentionally receiving and following what I believe is a strategic plan from the Holy Spirit. So every message that I've been bringing over these many months have been, I really believe, um, moving in a specific direction. I believe they are word from God. I don't, I no longer just look and leaf through the Bible or find a series or whatever's on my heart and, and uh, bring that, but I really seek the Lord. What are you saying to us to install us in the harvest, put us at the tip of the spear, put us where you want us. And so I spent all of last year, almost all of last year, teaching and preaching on the kingdom of God. And you remember the theme, buying the field, because of Jesus' um, great parable, the kingdom of God is as if a man should find a treasure that was buried in a field and went and sold all that he had, and he purchased the field in order to have the treasure. And what Jesus was saying is that the kingdom of God is where Jesus is, and he cannot be separated from his kingdom. You can't just receive the Savior and pluck him out of the context of his lordship and out of the kingdom and expect to see the result of his blessing because those are all extensions of his kingship, of his rulership. So I spent the year, most of the year, teaching and preaching on the kingdom of God and encouraging us, buy the field. That's what, the, that's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is as if a man should buy the field. Well, this year I am concerned about our prayer lives. And it's because prayer is how we actually enter, live, and walk in the kingdom of God. It's how we buy the field. If, if I had to distill down buying the field <clears throat> to one particular act or function as a Christian, I would have to say prayer. Prayer is how we buy the field. Number one, prayer Nothing impacts your life more than prayer. It is your actual communion with God. Um, your prayer life is the extent of your relationship with the Lord. And number two, nothing impacts our church more than prayer. And number three, as your pastor, I want to begin helping you and I renovate and build your prayer life and transform Faith Christian Church into King Jesus ministry. So having, uh, having shared that, um, I'd like to begin. That was just a, that was just a little preamble that I, I wanted to set up for you. And my message begins out of Mark chapter 11. A very familiar piece of scripture at the very beginning, at the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry, and at the very end of his ministry, Jesus did, did one thing, and he did it twice at the beginning and the end. Anybody remember what it was? Take a stab. He cleansed the temple. He cleansed the temple. He walked into the temple, and he said, for example, in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all people, but you have made it a den of robbers. And so Jesus did this 
twice at the beginning and at the end of his ministry. It was so important that he wanted it to be the first impression, and I believe he wanted to leave that impression with us. His concept of what church is supposed to be is a house of prayer. Now, we Christians are always quick to point out that God's house isn't a building we meet in, but the people that he lives in. And we're correct. God calls us to be people living in unbroken communion with him. But, you know, we live in a, a spiritual battlefield of conflict where Satan works continuously to oppose the kingdom of God. And so as a result of us living in constant conflict and the enemy always resisting that prime purpose of God for his house to be called a house of prayer, as a result, instead of people living in unbroken communion, unbroken prayer with him, what God usually ends up with is saved individuals whose relationship with him is encapsulated in small little medicine bottles of prayer that they pop every once in a while. So the same is true of church. We, we do church pretty much the same way. Churches are our corporate relationship with God. And so God calls his church to be a house of prayer. He calls you and I to be a temple of prayer individually, but he calls us collectively to be a corporate house of prayer. But what he ends up getting are religious teaching and singing gatherings. And I don't say that to be um, unkind or facetious, but it is just historically what the church has devolved into, is centers, religious centers where people gather socially around a, a life message of some kind taken from the scriptures and then some singing. Now, I personally believe that the Holy Spirit is using the COVID-19 outbreak to try to bring a reset to the church. For whatever impact it's having on society at large, and we know it's largely negative, God seems to always use what the enemy means for evil. He is able to mean it for good. And I think the one high purpose of God is that he wants his churches to go through a reset. He wants this shutdown of church to be a time for pastors and Christians to examine the scriptures, examine their hearts, and come up with the courage and the bravery to really make some significant changes so that God gets what he wants. But the sad fact is that probably 80% of churches will simply go back to church as usual. They'll return to what is familiar. However, Joshua said, as for me and my house, you can't manage what other people do, but we can manage what we do. We want to transform FCC from having ministries that need prayer into a culture of prayer, a culture of prayer that's birthing and sustaining ministries. That's where we want to go. So that prayer is not what we add to our plans to make them work. Prayer is where we receive our plans and how we keep them afloat. So I want to take the next few weeks or more to share some thoughts, just some random thoughts with you about prayer. 
And these thoughts are designed to uh, inspire your praying, eliminate obstacles for you, and to promote some fresh thinking about prayer because we have a lot of work ahead of us if we're going to make this transition. So today I want to share with you the first five thoughts. And as I said, these are not necessarily strategically laid out. These are thoughts that I've been scratching on paper uh, for a while and just collecting. So I'm going to unload the first five. Here's number one. Prayer requires teaching. Prayer requires teaching. Teaching prayer provides the structure to support sustained prayer. Without that structure of teaching, prayer will dry up and it ends, it ceases. You know, Jesus in the early church, in the book of Acts and throughout the Gospels, they had times of prayer, they had places of prayer, and they actually had teaching. Jesus taught how to pray. So there were times, there were places, and, and certainly when you study the Old Testament, you can see that God absolutely laid out structure that was designed to support prayer. Prayer was never just left up to individuals to figure it out on their own and, and come up with their own self-styled prayer lives because the result of an unstructured um, concept of prayer is that we don't pray. That, that's, that's essentially uh, what happens. So the first thought that I want to get you to buy into is that prayer requires teaching. You need structure in prayer or you're not going to pray, not like God wants you to. Brings me to the second thought that I want to share with you this morning. The second thought is that every Christian must practice both personal prayer and corporate prayer. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not called to pray publicly with his brothers and sisters in Christ. We have personalities, characteristics, idiosyncrasies that if we allow them, they will define for us how we pray, who we pray with, and, and define our prayer life. You don't want a prayer life that is built on your personality, that is built on your idiosyncrasies. If you do, you're never going to rise, and we collectively will never rise to be a house of prayer. To be a house of prayer, the living stones that make up that house must have both a personal and a public prayer life. Do you have a personal prayer life? And I don't ask the question to condemn because I've heard just recently, I heard a testimony of a friend of mine who was speaking on prayer. He was doing a seminar on prayer. And he was sharing the testimony of how he was, had an altar call where pastors were coming up. And one pastor of a, of a rather successful church saddled up beside him and very quietly just spoke to him and said, I haven't prayed in eight years. And he has a very successful church. I haven't prayed in eight years. So I say to you again, do you have a personal prayer life? Number two, I probably have most people that, at least in this church, answered to the affirmative, yes, I have a personal prayer life. 
But here's where I'm going to lose some of you. Do you have a corporate prayer life? Do you have a regular commitment to a group, to people that you pray with? We must have personal and corporate prayer to be a house of prayer that God is calling for. You know, we learn and build our personal prayer life by regularly participating in corporate prayer. Anybody who has a, a strong prayer life, I guarantee you, they got much of it by being around people when they were praying and praying with them. Um, because corporate prayer is where we hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the body. You're not off by yourself, isolated by whatever trials you're going through, whatever impact is impacting your life. But when we're together as the multifaceted body of Christ, the Holy Spirit drops down that word and begins to speak to the church. And when he speaks to us, we are hearing God talking to us collectively and individually. So your personal prayer life will be greatly enhanced by commitment to corporate prayer. Seven times in the book of Revelation, God said, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Holy Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Not to the people, not to the individuals, not to the intercessors, to the churches. Each of those seven messages was initiated by a statement something like, and to the messenger at the church of. So each of these messages were spoken corporately to the church. They were meant to be shared publicly with the whole church. And God said publicly to the church, all of you must listen to the Spirit and must understand. Do you understand what the Spirit is saying? Do you even know what the Spirit is saying to the churches? Much less do you understand it. It is having corporate prayer collectively that develops a congregation into an ear that hears and understands what the Spirit is saying. Let me move on. The third thought that I'd like to share with you this morning is that to be a praying church, and let me pause for a moment. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, a praying church? That's a praying church. Usually what's referred to is a church that has a group that prays or a church that has a handful of people who pray or they have a prayer chain where you get on the phone, you know, or you text out prayer requests and people will call that a praying church. But I think if we're going to become a house of prayer, I think we need to find God's definitions for these things. Doesn't that sound pretty reasonable? To be a praying church... The whole church must pray together. Now, I know that's, this is going to hit some of you right in the solar plexus where it makes you a little bit weak. I, I barely have enough time to pop in for an hour and a half on Sunday for the song and the teaching. And now you're telling me that the whole church needs to come together and pray. Well, I'm just putting it out there. If you're going to be a praying church, the whole church needs to pray together. 
If Jesus wants us to be a house of prayer for all nations, then all of us must pray together regularly. Now, how regular? I think each congregation's got to work up to that and, and figure out how that happens. But if we don't do that, if, the, if we don't take measures to begin to draw the church in to regular praying together that involves everybody, if we don't, then we're just a religious teaching and singing center. And we're, we're kind of like an ecclesiastical VFW hall. And, I, you know, that really, I don't, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind, but how many of you have left church and gone, I don't know how much more of this I can take. Don't raise your hand. But, <laughs> but I've gone home and said that. Trust me, I have. What is that? That is pain, painful crying for the presence of God. That is... No matter how sincere we are, no matter how individually saved and spirit-filled we are, collectively, if we come together and we're not a praying church, then it's like going to the VFW hall. And sometimes, you know, the gatherings are a little better than others. We feel a closeness, but it's not what it could be. And it's certainly not when you get to the book of Acts and open this up and you read about what was going on. And what was happening in some of those meetings, you guys remember at different times in your life, you realize we're not there. We're not there. But we want to be there. How many would say, we're not there, but I want to be there. And we really need every hand to say, I, I want to be there. Everyone's got to grab an oar, right? So to be a praying church, the whole church must pray together. I just grabbed a few of those verses out of the book of Acts. I know that you know them, but I just want to refresh your memory. Where the days leading up to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and then immediately after the Holy Spirit fell upon them, listen to just some of the phrases that describe what they were doing together. They all, notice the word all, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. Now, that means they had the kiddos with them. They might have had a few, there might have been an auntie at home doing some babysitting, but they were all together. And later on in Acts chapter 1, it says they were there in the upper room with the women and children. They were all together. They were all together praying. It goes on and says, now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And this is very important. I know this is not new to you. It says a little bit after that, all the believers devoted themselves together to prayer. It's so important, and, I, and I'm going to come back and pick this up in a moment, but just that you understand what was happening when the Holy Spirit came and empowered the church. Brings me to my fourth thought that I want to share with you this morning. Prayer. 
Prayer is what makes the Holy Spirit the foundation of every ministry effort. Launching missions, launching out on programs, tearing off on assignments without prayer is how ministries and projects fall out of the hand of God and lose the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us could probably think of things in our life that were initiated by the Lord. God said to do something. We know that at one point we were part of something God was doing. Somewhere along the line, it, has, it fell out of the hand of God. It's still for the Lord. There's still Christians doing it, but there's no anointing. How does that happen? One thing always causes that. Prayer stops. People just think I'm doing God's will, so God's going to bless it. Come on, somebody. Even God's own plans degrade into nothing more than human efforts if prayer doesn't continue the process. So prayer is what makes the Holy Spirit the seed, the birth, and the continuation of every plan and purpose of God. I love that last verse in uh, the Gospel of Mark where Jesus said, or it says of Jesus and his disciples when he was parted after speaking to them and he had said, go to Jerusalem and wait in the upper room until you have received power to be witnesses for me. And then the, the Lord was raised up in the air as they watched. And it says, and they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord working, everyone say working. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Miracles, signs, and wonders, answers to prayer, dynamic manifestations of God's power do not happen because it's the will of God. It happens because people are praying and God's working with their prayers. God went and worked with them. Since that time, tens of thousands, maybe millions, of Christian evangelists and witnesses for Christ have gone throughout the world without signs and wonders, without miracles. But if we go back to having a culture of prayer instead of occasional prayer, we will see the power of the Holy Spirit begin to return because he works with us as we pray. Here's my fifth and final thought. <clears throat> it's not enough for a church to have a prayer ministry. Prayer cannot be just a ministry of the church. It's nice to have a prayer ministry. It's nice to have a prayer czar. It's nice to have a prayer group. But the house of prayer is not just the collection of intercessors that meet on Tuesday night. The church must become, not have, become a culture of prayer. And so to be a house of prayer that the Holy Spirit is flowing through, prayer must become the default starting point and the ongoing function in every member of that church and in every ministry of that church. There's a really wonderful example in Acts chapter 13. 
Paul and, and Silas knew they were called of God to go throughout the Roman Empire and bring the gospel. It was already evident. They, they had the plan of God. They knew what it was. They didn't just go tearing off and doing it because I know God's called me. Um, you know, it's like the old kind of humorous statement. Some were called, some were sent, some just grabbed a mic and went. So that, you know, that there's a lot of just grabbing a mic and running. And, and we, we just don't want that anymore. We're, we're tired of it. It doesn't, nobody got healed because someone grabbed a mic and went. Um, but in Acts chapter 13, I'll just read it to you, the account of, of God sending Paul on the mission he'd already revealed to him was his purpose. Um, Acts 13, 1 through 4. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaeum, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, or, or Paul, the Apostle Paul. While they were, King James says, ministering to the Lord, they were praying. While they were worshiping, praying, uh, and worshiping the Lord, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. While they were praying, the Holy Spirit said. Separate, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. I apologize, I said Paul and Silas. Silas joined the team later, Paul and Barnabas. Sometimes if you have a scholar in the crowd, they get all hung up, you know, if you mess up something. And they don't hear anything you say after that. So Paul and Barnabas. It says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. I love that. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. Some just go. But the Holy Spirit sent them out. Why do we know that the Holy Spirit sent them out? Because they were in prayer. They were praying. While they prayed, the Holy Ghost spoke. Now, I want to wrap up this fifth point and just kind of pull this message together and put a little bow on it. Um, before we dismiss, there are essentially three types of churches. Now, if you look at the church world in the broadest context of, of uh, Christendom or Christianity, you see hundreds, thousands of types of churches. You know, But I think if you look at church from heaven, now remember, heaven has already spoken and said, my house shall be a house of prayer. So heaven rates churches, not by their size, not by their music, not by the skill, thank God, of their preachers or teachers, not by um, their programs. None of those things are bad. And, and um, I'm not saying that God isn't in those things, but that's not how heaven identifies churches. Heaven identifies churches, and Jesus has already said it. My church shall be a church of prayer, a house of prayer for all people. So there are three types of church. Number one, churches who pray when there's an emergency. We jump on the telephone. Oh, so-and-so just got back from the doctor, and they've been diagnosed with cancer, and brrr, the, the phone lines light up, and everybody starts praying and sending texts and everything. So the first type of church is the church that prays 
when the Titanic has hit an iceberg, when there's an emergency, or so-and-so uh, has got a hairy patch on their shoulder and they don't know what to do about it, or whatever the need may be. The second level, the second type of church, are churches that actually have a prayer ministry. Oh, a prayer ministry, it may be robust, it may be initial. You know, it, 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 the, they may actually have a pastor over prayer. That is his, his job, and he has a group or two of intercessors, or they may actually organize a regular prayer meeting uh, at time. So that's the second type of church. But that is still not a house of prayer. That's just a church that has a prayer ministry. The third type of church is churches permeated with prayer culture. That is a praying church. That is a house of prayer. Everyone in that church is baptized in prayer. Everyone in that church is initiated in prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody prays the same. It certainly doesn't mean that everyone's an intercessor or engages in spiritual warfare or, uh, or anything. Uh, there are, once we get into this, there are so many types of prayer. You will be greatly encouraged because one of the things you'll learn as I go along is that um, you may look at certain people that seem to have a real prayer ministry and you think, I'm just not like that. I, you know, I, I don't pray like that. You're going to be very encouraged because unfortunately, the, the second level of churches who have a prayer ministry tend to also have a narrow, narrow characterization of what prayer should look and sound like. And most of the people in the church don't fit into that characterization. So you've got a large percentage of people literally left out. More important to have everybody involved and let all prayer be made. In fact, Paul wrote in one place, pray with all prayer, all kinds of prayer. We want a broad circle around the subject of prayer so that everyone's involved. And, uh, you know, not just a certain type, but... The church that's permeated with a prayer culture is a church that's, that's baptized with a Holy Spirit culture. Now, I want you to think about that because we all want the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's one thing the Holy Spirit wants, and that is He wants our engagement. You're not engaged if you're not praying. You could be believing, you could be studying, you could be reading, you are not engaged if you are not praying. That's why Paul said, pray and do not disengage. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> the, the church that has a prayer culture has an anointing culture. Not an anointing belief, an anointing culture. Not three people that prophesy, an anointing culture. Anointing culture is something every member experiences. The children, the parents, the single people, the, the males, the females. Everybody experiences the anointing of the Holy Spirit when you have a church that is a prayer culture. Now, I'd like to just sum up what these, we're going to put a chip clip on these five points. We'll pick them up next week. But modern churches today, a um, number of years ago, bought into a thought, 
And I mean, when I say bought in, there have been billions of dollars, untold man hours and planning and work put into the idea that praise and worship will bring down an anointing culture. That praise and worship is what brings the culture of the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell you that is not true. That is absolutely wrong. And it's not wrong because there's anything wrong with praise and worship. It's wrong because that is not how a church becomes a house of prayer. Praise and worship certainly part of prayer. But would you agree with this? And I think with this statement, I'll probably get all of you on board. Congregations who don't pray together can sing together enthusiastically. There could be churches that jump around and enthusiastically sing, tears streaming down their face, lots of Praise and worship, people pack in. It's the happening place to go. It's where the praise and worship attracts people. That doesn't make it a house of prayer. You can get a whole bunch of people together that have no prayer life, and they will praise and worship God, but they have very little prayer life. What prayer life they have might be um, scattered, disjointed, occasional. It might be like that first church, emergency prayers, in fact, I think a lot of people like to replace a prayer life with praise and worship. Praise and worship should be part of our prayer life, but it's not a replacement for it. If this, if this kind of makes any sense to you. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit did, did not rush in like a mighty rushing wind into a room full of believers who were teaching and singing together. He rushed in to fill believers who were praying together. Praying together. They weren't having a teaching session in the upper room. They weren't having a sing-along in the upper room. They were praying. And that's when the Holy Spirit fell. Let me just say this. This is for us. Turning a sincere congregation, and we have a very sincere congregation, wonderful, beautiful congregation. Feel bad for you because of the pastor you've got, but you're, it's amazing God's at work because you're a sincere, wonderful group of people. Um, but <clears throat> to turning a sincere congregation um, who's worshiping uh, as a, basically as a teaching worship center who's operating in the tradition of a teaching worship center. And again, sincere congregation. But turning them into a house of prayer takes time. And it takes work. It takes a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of time. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't turn a great ship around in the middle of the ocean like you do a bicycle. It doesn't turn on a dime. You don't preach a hot message, and all of a sudden... You know, you've got a praying church. What you, you, what you might have is agreement and will, but it takes time to teach, to learn, to put into practice, and to build prayer culture into every facet of ministry. So the ship is not going to turn on a dime. The hearts and the habits of every member and every ministry of the church must be engaged reformed 
with careful teaching and training. It takes time. But it begins by developing a clear vision and gaining the agreement of the congregation. Remember that in Acts 1 where I read verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. This was a group of people who took the time to be in agreement about what they were doing in the upper room and why they were doing it and what was important. They were together in one accord, constantly united in prayer. So, in the coming weeks and months, I could just, there's nobody to stop me. I could just come each week and, and go on and, and bring this teaching about becoming a house of prayer. But this morning, this morning I want to ask for your agreement. I want to ask, I want to see if I can get you to sign on to this and be on board. I want to come back here and know that the church, because I'm not the church, you are the church. You are the ones that must become a house of prayer. So I don't really have the power or the ability to make that happen. So I'm asking for your agreement. I'm not sure exactly what it's all going to look like or the details, but I know that if you are all involved, whatever it becomes will be something the Holy Spirit has shown us all and helped us all to become a part of. So that's all I'm asking is that we proceed together. And so really, I am going to ask for a show of hands at this point. Um, I would like to see the hands of people who in principle, in principle, say I'm in enough to want to see what this looks like. I'd like to be part of becoming a house of prayer. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. All right. Great. Terry, you're out of here. I didn't see. Oh, was your hand up? I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, look, if you would, I'd like you to stand with me. Um, I would say we're going to have an altar call. We will pray. Uh, we will we'll close in prayer. Um, but I think the altar call began when I started this message. And so it's been happening, I think, throughout the message, our hearts. I believe God has been bringing us up to the, the table and speaking to us. And so um, I've got to trust the Lord on that. But I'd like you to pray with me, and let's ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the conductor of praying people. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the, the outpouring of your, your spirit, your power. And Holy Spirit, we know that you are not the special magic that God sprinkles on his will to make it happen while we go out and perform the work. No, you, you are the one who does the work through our praying. As we pray, you will work in and through us. If we stop praying, 
you will stop working. And so, Holy Spirit, we honor you. We, we look to you. We know that you are far more important than just the Spirit of Jesus who heals our sickness and, and breaks demonic bondages, but you are our teacher. You lead us in prayer. In fact, when we know not what to pray for as we ought, you lead us in prayer. We need you. Our church needs you. We would like Faith Christian Church to become King Jesus ministry. Only you with us can bring us to that level. We ask it, Holy Spirit. I personally pray that every one of us this week will be chewing on this word, be thinking about it, and be, be brave and bold to push the envelope in prayer and say, Lord, how far am I willing to go? What am I willing to be part of? to be part of this. How can I help? Father, I ask you to expand the individual devotional life and prayer life. I pray that you'll help each and every one of us to set aside a place of prayer, to sanctify a location, to set up a time where daily we commune with you, Father. Those that seek me early shall find me the Lord said. And so, Father, we ask that. We know that is your will. We give ourselves to it in the name of Jesus. And now, if you would, I'd like you just to lift your hands to the Lord. May the love, the precious love of the Father, may the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and may the great and powerful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ Fill and be with you, carry you, conduct you, lead you, and be that river of life shining through your eyes, anointing your tongue, putting that holy bridle upon your emotions, that holy bridle upon your tongue, and guiding you and leading you into this week that you will walk closer to the Lord, more fruitful, no matter what fiery trial or battle you happen to walk into, you will walk in that victory. In the precious name of Jesus, amen and amen. amen. Praise God, everybody. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Feel free to spend some time to fellowship. Oh, Jesse.